Romans chapter 6 in your Bibles. Let's see, read some verses together and then we'll pray. Romans chapter number 6. Verse 11 says this, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, spiritual dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Father, help us tonight to be strengthened by your word, to be convicted by it, instructed by it, Lord. And we need, we need to hear from you tonight, as always. And so we thank you for this time. We thank you for these people. God bless them, Lord. Thank you for their faithfulness. Now, bless all of us, Lord, through your powerful word in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 6, I want you to notice again how carefully the Apostle Paul contrasts the way things used to be when we were lost. We were all lost at one time. Contrast those things with how things are now, now that you're a child of God, since you've gotten saved. Verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus. So uh, a dead, he says, dead indeed, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. That's a contrast. And the contrast is that there's a difference between life and death. Can't get any more of a contrast. So he says, reckon yourselves in this regard, using life and death as the comparison, of course. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. That's the old life. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. So, dead unto sin, alive unto God, instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. That's the old instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 17, you'll notice it says, ye were, ye were the servants of sin. Verse 18, and ye became servants of righteousness. Wow, that's all good stuff. And of course, all through this wonderful book of Romans, you'll read and see this dramatic and spiritual contrast between these two levels, different levels of how you're going to live your life. That is a lost person. And now as a saved person. The problem is, while almost all believers will recognize that there's a change when you get saved, born again, that there's going to be baptism, all of it is a picture of a change. While almost all believers recognize that there's a different plane, if you will, level of where Christians live than where they used to live when they were lost, fewer and fewer believers in this society today understand what the differences are, what it means to now live this new life in Christ. In other words, instead of reading, for example, what the Bible says about being dead to sin and alive unto Christ, well, they basically, in churches today and Christian books that I've gotten a hold of and people give me, they kind of eyeball it and they just say, you know, just, just guess, just make some arbitrary guesses as to what's the difference between being saved and lost, being a Christian and not being a Christian. But of course, that approach is doomed to fail. And I'm going to put it this way. 
In every society today and throughout history, you will find that mankind, ever since the fall of man, has lived his life in one of three different planes or levels, if you will, of accountability. Now follow this carefully before we get to the main part of the message. The first or the lowest level is recognized even by sociologists and by scientists as the instinctive level. The Bible calls it those people of the baser sort. They just, they're base humans. They live by instinct. This is man just living by his inward impulses. Both psychologically and biologically, he goes by his, he just goes by his own instincts. He follows them. So the man in that level just does what feels good. He, he does what he feels like doing, and he does what comes naturally to the flesh. When we say those people are living like animals about a criminal, that man is just an, that type thing, well, we're referring to the animal instinct. This is the kind of behavior that obeys your urges, just your basic urges. And that's, in some ways, what sin does, what, a, what an infant does, if you think about it for a moment. A toddler has certain inborn urges, eat, drink, bite, um, play, and crawl. And if the infant is not taught, you know this to be true, if the infant is not taught, discipline, morality, limitations one day, it's just going to continue to follow its own instincts all the time, over and over. And it will follow its own instincts right into self-destruction. It will drink and steal and bite, steal people. I mean, you know, you saw... Uh, Evander Holyfield had his ear bitten off by Mike Tyson. That was pay-per-view. We called it pay-for-chew, if you remember that back in those days. And what's crazy, honestly crazy to me and most of you here, there's a huge contingency in our society that promotes this level of living. They push it on your teenagers or your, your young people in school. The NEA, the ACLU, most of Hollywood. It's about free expression, doing what you feel like doing, doing what you want to do. That's the instinctive thing to do. In their world, it's even the right thing to do. And it's folly. It's foolishness. You know, the typical child psychologist today is why you ought to be very discerning about what you read and what you trust. The typical child psychologist today, and I'm talking about the ones that write the articles for Ladies Home Journal and those respectable magazines, they're now saying that if you, and it started with Benjamin Spock back when I was a little boy. <laughs> That's why I'm messed up. They say that if you restrain your child's natural urges, if you even curb them, you damage their personality. You damage their creativity. And the fruit of that folly is crime-ridden cities now and degraded schools that have to have armed guards and so forth. Nothing is more destructive to an individual or a society than to think or to live on the instinctive level. And, you know, man needs law. Mankind needs rules, boundaries, discipline. And isn't it interesting what Paul says in verse 17? Look at it. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. You were what? Slaves to sin. <clears throat> you say, wait a minute. Servants? Slaves to sin? People who do what they want to do are, are, aren't really free because that's what they say. Be free. Do what you want to do. No, they're not free. They're servants, slaves to sin. 
As James says, Christians observe, believers observe the law of liberty. So while that sounds like a contradiction of terms, Pastor, it's not at all. Liberty, the world says that liberty is found outside the confines of God's commandments, of God's law. Feels good, do it. But do you remember what David said in Psalm 119.45? I will walk at liberty because I seek thy precepts, thy law. I will walk at liberty because I seek thy law. That's where freedom is. True freedom, true liberty is always found within the boundaries of God's will, not man's instincts. And of course, the truth is, and nobody here, that I, I don't believe anybody in this room right now, has fallen or lives on the instinctive level. Now, I'll grant you that some people may yield to that instinctive level from time to time, but nobody who's saved wants to or thinks that they should live by their instinct. However, there's another level. The other level, which appears healthier to society, is identified as the customary level. In other words, you think and you live your life by the customs of your society. What's called the mores of a society. You've heard that word before. The mores, the traditions. The word moral in the English comes from the word mores. So you're a moral person because you live by what people in society basically consider moral. And these societies throughout history adopt different mores. Europe is very different now than it was 100 years ago. As America is, Europe's different than we are in a lot of ways. And a lot of people believe that humankind should just live on that level. I remember years ago, William Bennett wrote a book entitled The Book of Virtues. Anybody remember that book? Man, it sold like hotcakes. Christians bought that book. Two people in our church bought the book for me for Christmas and birthday, and I read it. And basically, these are people who believe they bought it because they believe and hold to the idea that morality is the answer for society. And so there's this wonderful book of virtues about, you know, we need courage and so forth. And so they live by more education, government, marriage. And I remember the book. It was good I, in the sense that that's what they believe. He, he gave an illustration about a contemporary wedding that he attended. And he said they changed the vows. He said well, he went to this wedding and they didn't say till death do us part. They said, as long as love shall last. And he said, so I sent them paper plates, not China, for the wedding gift, because I knew it wasn't going to last very long. And he's right. But at least men like Mr. Bennett believe in higher mores for our society. You just look at how marriage has gotten, the idea of marriage has fallen, just fallen in this country in the last 10 years or so which is all the more reason for your young ladies to be even more picky than ever um, about the man out there. When I was a youth director, I noticed that a lot of Christian parents taught their children to live on that level. Some of you may, may have done that or may be doing that. Uh, probably not here tonight, but we, in Sunday morning, I can guarantee you there's a lot of people, they think it's, it's Christian to teach their children to live on this, this customary level. And then when their children became teenagers, it completely backfired on them. 
And it backfired because when they became teenagers and they wanted to listen to garbage music and smoke their pot and go alone and anywhere and free as a bird with any boy they wanted to and do anything they wanted with each other, their reasoning was, well, everybody does it, Mom. Everybody does it, Mom. This is normal today. I had a teenager tell me the other, other day that the F word, you know, the F bomb, that that word is normal today. It's not a bad word anymore. Pastor, if you could hear everybody at school, everybody at work, everybody uses it. Okay, fine. Everybody does. So you teach them to live on the moral level that if everybody's doing it, that's the mores of our society. So they're just thinking and living on the customary level, just like they were taught by their parents mistakenly. That basically is almost every young person in every Christian high school in every state in America. It's just be safe, be responsible, be successful, and that's Christ-like. Because, you know, you're way better than the rest of the world that's living on the insti- those animals that are living on the instinctive level. So you have the instinctive level, and then you have the customary level. There's a third one the world holds up a lot, and that's called the conscience level. This one's actually mentioned in Romans. Go back to chapter 2 real quick. And verse, let me think, I think it's verse 14. Yes. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So Paul says even some Gentiles are living in some, they're not just going by pure instinct. And the Romans didn't. They had laws. They had mores, morals. They also had, you know, the Colosseum where they threw entire families to wild beasts. But they did have their ideas of morals. Verse 13, for not the hearers of law are just before God, but the doers of law shall be justified. I'm sorry, verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Look at it. Their conscience also bearing witness. And their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. You know, that's Jiminy Cricket. Always let your conscience be your guide. Well, the conscience is potentially a wonderful thing. And a blessing to most any society in the world and throughout history. When Paul says that the law is written on man's heart, he's talking about God's law. Right and wrong. Thou shalt not kill Thou shalt not commit adultery. He's talking about God's mores for the most part. Man's conscience tells him that it's wrong to kill something, somebody. That it's wrong to steal, to take something that doesn't belong to you. So it's at least higher than Sam Bankman Freed and all of his young cronies, right? Any man or woman who lives submissively by their conscience, yes, they will live on a higher plane than the customary level or the instinctive level. The problem is there's nothing inerrant or infallible about your conscience, right? In fact, the Bible warns us about our conscience. 1 Corinthians 8, 7 says that the conscience can be weak. 1 Timothy 4, 2 talks about a conscience that is seared. You keep doing that thing over and over and over again and the conscience, you sear that conscience. Hebrews 10.22 talks about an evil conscience, imagine. 
And then Titus 1.15 speaks about a defiled conscience. So, in other words, your conscience isn't always trustworthy. No, Jiminy Cricket, I'm not going to always let my conscience be my guide. And this is why every child of God, all of God's people are called to and given by, guided by, a completely different level. Parents, grandparents, kids of all ages... Understand that God has called us and God has enabled us to transcend all of the levels of worldly living and worldly thinking. And that means that a Christian's ability to, be, to live and his standard of living is not instinctive, it is not customary, and it is not the conscience. It's higher than all of those. Because the standard is godliness. The standard bearer is Jesus himself. And folks, godliness, hear this carefully, is never, it is neither appreciated, nor understood, nor attainable to the world, to the lost, and to your flesh. Godliness means that you yield not to your conscience, not to the mores or customs of society, not to your instincts and not to yourself. It is yielding to God himself in a manner that Paul illustrates powerfully in our text. So all of that's introduction to get to what I want to say now. In Romans chapter 6, I want you to notice a particular word. It's repeated twice. He says in verse 13, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments. There's that word, instruments of righteousness unto God. I spoke about this to our young people a couple of months, three or four months ago. The word instrument in this verse is very interesting. If you look in your margin, if you have a margin, you'll see that the Greek word is hoplon or hopla. It has three different applications. And translate as such. Some of you may have in your margin, if you have margins, the word tool. Yield yourselves as tools of, of righteousness unto God. And then also it's translated as the word weapon. In fact, in John 18.3, it uses this exact same Greek word when it says these words. The chief priests and the officers cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Hoplon. Weapons. And then, of course, there's the idea of an instrument, whether it be a musical or a medical instrument. So you get the idea of this amazing text, and you can see how Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is about to apply this level of living on the higher level. A tool, a weapon, an instrument. By the way, furthermore, if you look at that Greek word hoplon, the root word hapo means to be busy, a busy about. The whole idea of the instrument then is that we're supposed to be a busy, usable tool, weapon, instrument in the hand of God himself. And since Paul was inspired to describe God's people as instruments, it presents these very important lessons in light of this transformation from darkness to light that we just read described in this chapter. Now I have with me an instrument. As you know, this is Brother Kevin's trumpet. And this instrument, in this particular case, is a musical instrument. And I also brought up here from Marcella's office, 
a tool, a hammer. We use these in the office from time to time, believe it or not. Not on each other, thankfully. I was going to bring a weapon. In fact, I was going to ask some of our guys if I could borrow their weapon, but I'd have 21 handguns up here, and that would look good on live stream, would it? I'd be in jail tomorrow or something. I don't know. <coughs> so I don't want any sidearms. However, you may remember that Lord Lytton was the one who said the pen is mightier than the sword. So here's my weapon. Okay, I'm going to use that instead of um, some of you guys' handguns. Verse 13, Paul says these words. Look at it again, would you? Neither yield your, ye, your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. In other words, look, this hammer, it's an instrument, but it can be used for either evil, banging someone over the head with it, right? Or it can be used to perform something very good, righteousness, to build a shelter or a tabernacle. The same thing is true for this trumpet. The trumpet can be used to glorify Satan. There are trumpeters who exist and have existed in various bands, and the music that they play is anti-Christ and pro-Satan, and they are not ashamed of it. And it can also, the very same exact trumpet, by the way, the same trumpet can be used to glorify God. Matter of fact, even the sword, if you will. Even the weapon, according to Romans 13, can be used by the hand to do that which is evil, or in the hand as God's minister, it says in the book of Romans, for good, right? Which brings us to the core of what Paul is saying in all of this. Remember, Whenever God repeats something in his word, it's for emphasis. God is not redundant. It's to emphasize so that we understand. And if you want to notice and see what he's emphasizing about the instrument in his word, just notice the word yield, which is used five times in this one little section. Verse 13 again, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourself, yourselves unto God. Verse 16, know you not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are. Verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now, here it is, yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now, I ask you a question. How is that possible? How can this instrument yield itself? How can this, wep this tool over here, a weapon, how can a dead object yield itself to anyone, whether it be good or bad? You know, the fact is the instrument has no choice. I picked it up off of the stand. I put it here in the pulpit. I brought this, or we brought this, over from the office. The instrument has no choice but to yield itself to whoever come along, comes along and uses it, whether it be good or bad. So if we're instruments, how do we choose that? How do we choose to whom we yield ourselves? Well, Paul answers that question. Verse 13 again. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those 
that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, again, a lost person cannot yield himself to God. Ephesians describes us, when we were lost, as dead in trespasses and sins. But you and I are different. We have been born again. All through this chapter, read it over and over and over again, made alive. So that now, as living in Christ, we can choose to whom we will yield ourselves. Verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Okay, so God says you're dead unto sin and sin. Now you just need to mark it down, reckon it. But also reckon this, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Alive unto God. And in particular, our members, your hands, your eyes, your feet, your lips are now living instruments. All of these living instruments have potential still to yield to someone for good or for bad. In fact, notice verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So let me stop here for a minute. <coughs> what shall we say then? What has Paul been talking about for five chapters in Romans? The grace of God. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is but the gift of God. For five chapters, it's the Roman road to salvation. For five chapters, it's amazing glory and grace. So he says, what shall we say then about all this? Look at it. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, with Jesus, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. In other words, you know what in some ways he's saying, obviously, is that we really don't even have the right. We don't have the right to yield ourselves unto anything that is unrighteous, anyone or anything other than God himself. I remember reading about a guy in the mountains in Tennessee. He was all dressed up, looking nice, and carrying a Bible. He was waiting at a bus stop, and a friend of him said, Billy Bob, where are you going all dressed up like that? And he said, well, I've been hearing about the city of New Orleans, and I hear there's lots of free-running liquor and gambling and lots of partying. And his friend looked at him and said, then what's the Bible for? He said, because if it's as good as they say it is, I might stay over till Sunday. Now, sadly, that's about the truth today. Have your Bible, have your partying. You can be a Christian and yield yourself a servant to unrighteousness. It's not far from the truth, but God's people don't have that license. Christians are called to yield themselves instruments of righteousness unto God. That's a higher level than anything the world has. Folks, God is building a kingdom. And you can be a tool, an instrument in his hand, to help continue building that kingdom. God is fighting the battle. And you and I are supposed to be a tool in that battle, in that cause. God is making a symphony, a workmanship. 
He is composing that symphony and you can be an instrument to His glory. You can be used by God if you'll simply yield yourself to Him, to the Master, if you will. And that brings me to this. I'm going to finish on time. But there are three things about an instrument that I'm reminded of tonight and why so many Christians, sadly, are not being used by God. They're just content with making a living, being better than those base people, and being successful, and looking good. Looking pretty good. But they're not really being used to the glory of God. Why living instruments are often yielding themselves, in fact, sometimes as instruments of unrighteousness. Saying things like, F-bomb's fine. It's not wrong anymore. The first thing we know about instruments is that an instrument isn't designed, number one, to play itself. We're going to go with this for purposes of illustration. This instrument is not designed to play itself. This is a trumpet. There's little things on here. I have no idea where you put your fingers, but I can see it was designed. <laughs> Whatever. To stick your fingers in here and to be held by somebody else. Held in somebody else's hand. This mouthpiece was made from an outside force. In other words, as radical as it sounds in our narcissistic society, in our selfie society, your hands and your eyes and your lips and your feet weren't designed for you to use how you want to use them. No. It was designed by God to be used by God. So that it is always God's desire that He would live and that He would be glorified through you. And through me, no matter what you do in life. And just as surely as that piano over there was designed to be used by someone else, we are designed to be used by God. Somebody has to play this trumpet. It wasn't made to, this tool wasn't made to swing itself. A sword wasn't made to wield itself. And that is exactly why the observation is true. That God can do more through you in one day than you can do in your entire life. If you're yielded to Him. It's also why the theme of the Christian life is dependence upon God. It is. You know when you pray, you're showing you depend upon God? When you open up your Bible at your devotion time, your Bible reading time, it shows that you depend upon God. You're coming to church tonight demonstrates that you are depending upon God Himself. So, God uses those who understand that they cannot use themselves and weren't designed to do so. It says in verse 8, Yield yourselves, look at it, two words, unto God. And your members as instruments of righteousness, here it is again, unto, unto God. Clearly, beloved, if the word yield is used five times in this one section, it is precisely because we are designed by God to yield, to submit ourselves. And I'll say this, somebody's going to use your life. Somebody's going to wear you out. 
Somebody's going to take your time and your energy and your mind, and somebody's going to use it. You're going to yield to somebody. And what God is saying, clearly, is yield yourself to the designer, the designer who created you, who bought us, who owns us. Look at verse 22. And now being made free from sin, hallelujah, become servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Folks, our lives on this earth are so short. How many of you believe that? You know that life is short. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Well, if your life is short, don't you want it to count for something? Don't you want to make some kind of a difference? I do. I have ever since I was 12 years of age. Now, before I got saved at the age of 12, all I wanted to do was play football in the NFL. I mean, I'd have dreams. I'd just close my eyes and I'd catch touchdown, two seconds to go, Super Bowl. Every dream I won the game, the Super Bowl. You know, that's, that was, that was going to make a difference? No. If it ever happened? No. But ever since I'm 12, I wanted my life to make a difference, no matter what I was going to do. The only way to do that is to surrender your life to Christ. And beloved, as a believer in Christ who's been saved from sin, no longer slaves, why wouldn't we want to do that? You know, God already knows what music He wants to play through your life. And it's not full-time ministry for most of for 99.9% of you. Of course it's not. But it's music. There are folks in this room I'm looking at now and I'm thinking of you right now. Your life has been a beautiful symphony. It has. And continues to be. And I know why. And God already knows what He wants to do through you and through your children. He has it written. And here's the thing, whether it's a long part or a short part or a loud part that gets lots of attention or a very soft part that nobody even pays attention to, it doesn't even matter. What matters is that He uses you. He uses us. Number two. The second thing about an instrument is that an instrument wasn't designed to play what it wants to play. Piano is designed to play and sound like a piano. Follow me carefully. A trumpet is designed to sound like a trumpet, not a banjo. Now, if this trumpet were alive, let's just say, this trumpet were made alive, quickened, it wouldn't be very happy if all of its life it wanted to be that. And tried so hard to be that. Didn't matter. Wouldn't matter what notes it played, how hard it tried. It's never going to sound like a piano. How many of you know people? I counsel them all the time. These are people who are living in misery because they bought the lie of Hollywood. And I hope you protect your kids from this garbage. I'm talking about the lie of Hollywood, the lie of the NBA, the lie of the NFL, the lie of Nashville, that they can do anything they want. If you just put your mind to it, you can be anything. And it's, of course, those very few people that reach that pinnacle that go around saying that. You can do anything you want. No, sorry. Gary, you'll never play in the NBA. I'm sorry. Never. That's not true. So, so people live with this fantasy in America. I can do, I can be anything I want. And they're spending their whole lives regretting 
either trying to be what they wanted to be and they can't, or at the end of their life, or the midlife crisis, regretting that they didn't get to do what they thought they could do. Any of them, my, my teacher told me I could. God designed them to be a piano, and all their lives they've wanted to be a trumpet. The day that a Christian accepts his strengths and weaknesses, his circumstances and his opportunities, the day that a believer accepts what he is and yields himself to God is the day of liberty and joy in God's service. But today, because of mush being pumped into kids' heads, and I mean all of them, they want to do something else. They want to be somebody else. They want to live somewhere else. They want to look like somebody else. Instead of being the part of the work of God that God has designed. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content with such things as you have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is our level. It's not what kind of instrument you are. I'm shy. I'm outgoing. I love to stand up in front of people. I would rather be in the corner hiding and writing notes to people. Whatever. It doesn't matter what instrument you are. All the instruments in an orchestra are important. The question is, are you just yielded? Are you yielded and thus a godly instrument? That's the question. Finally, number three. An instrument is never designed to receive the glory. It's not a matter of, wow, that trumpet. Pushed the musician aside, just played some beautiful hymn. An instrument is not designed to receive the glory. Many years ago, there was an advertisement in France about a concert where a violinist would play, was going to be playing a priceless Stradivarius violin that people had heard about. And it was a great marketing ploy because, yeah, the theater was absolutely packed. Everybody wanted to hear that violin. They had heard of them. Some people had seen one, but they never heard one. The concert began. The violinist played very beautifully, and the people were ooing and aahing, and they were impressed. At the very end of the first piece, he then took the violin and he smashed it into the floor. Just smashed it like a rock concert, you know. <laughs> but it, it shocked people. This was a Stradivarius. A rare 18th century violin. Or was it? Because at that time, a man walked on stage and he was holding and carrying another violin that happened to be the priceless one, the real one. This one, it was explained, was the true Stradivarius. The other one he smashed was a $20 fiddle. He took it and he began to play. And the people, the most part of the people, couldn't even tell the difference. The musician wanted the people to understand that it's not the instrument that makes all the difference. It's the musician. And you know, this trumpet might be worthy of some small measure of admiration, but not because of its form. It didn't make itself, right? And nor for its music, it doesn't play itself. All of the praise must be directed to the creator and the musician, which in the case of every believer in this room is our Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is worthy of the glory for the symphony that he will play with your life. So that, beloved, whatever you are and whatever you become, if it's good, if it's usable, 
If it's admirable, if it's a blessing, if it advances God's kingdom, if it's if it a blessing to other people, it is all because of the grace of God. Verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So here's the question. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want your life to really count for something? To really count for something? Do you want to truly fulfill the purpose for which you were created? Then yield your lips, your members, your eyes, your hands, your feet. Yield yourself to God and to God's will. And remember as you yield that the instrument's not designed to play itself. It's not designed to play how it wants. It's not designed to receive any glory. But all the sweet music that your life will make and does make when the master's hand has full control. Fritz Chrysler, he was the much celebrated violinist. He once heard about an Englishman in town who had a rare violin. It was specifically a violin that he himself had always wanted to have. And so he went to the man and got in the carriage, went out in the English countryside and, and begged him to see it. The man refused. He said, I tell you what, I'm going to let you play it one time. I'm not going to sell it, but I'll let you play it. And Fritz Chrysler took the violin, he tuned it, and he played it as only a genius could, poured his soul into it. The Englishman sat there speechless, and tears came down his eyes, and he gave the violin to Chrysler. And he said to him, you please keep it, such an instrument should only be should only belong to the one who plays it as you do. Beloved, for no other reason should we yield ourselves to our Creator and to our Redeemer. The only one, the only one who can make the most out of what and who we are. We said earlier that life is short. To miss the best that God has for us would be a heartache, heartbreak. Let's don't miss what God, the best, and you won't miss it. You will not miss it if tonight and always you yield. Yield yourselves. It's a heart decision. It's what it is. And it's daily. Take up your cross daily. Yield ourselves to God. And God's people said, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, please help us not to be content with the levels of living that the world offers. This morality, this moray, of society, the customary level, the conscience level, certainly not the instinctive. Father, please help us not to embrace any of that for our children, our grandchildren, or ourselves. But help us to live godly lives, yielded to you, that brings forth fruit, meat for repentance, and fruit that remains for your glory. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.